Digital marketing seems to be the mystery that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and real estate investors are no exception. The truth is, there are multiple avenues to success. Those experiences will be best shared by the guests on this podcast. My name is Jason Wright, and I would like to welcome you to Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories. What is going on? Jason right here coming to you with another episode of this podcast. We are already at episode number 17. Can you believe it? As usual, I've got a rock star of a guest today. A guest I have actually met and broken bread with in person, which is cool. But before we get into that, I'm going to share a very simple thought with you here today. You know what's fun and what's impactful about marketing for me real conversations with real people and it doesn't matter if i'm talking to potential project clients that are active capital raisers or if i'm talking to passive investors myself yep you heard that right if you didn't know it we have a separate company called wind river equity partners and that'll be live this week meaning i need passive investors just like you so does it scare me? Hell yeah, absolutely. But here's where I can uh, where I can rest comfortably. I built this business into a really really successful business, and you know when I look at what worked for us and why why things grow, it's because I have real conversations with real people. And some of this takes place in email. People reply back, ask questions, especially after we've had a call together. But I'm telling you, text message game changer. And I talk about this so much that you've. If you've been around at all or been around me at all, you've heard me talk about it a million times, but the amount of real conversation that comes to people through text is phenomenal. It's the only thing that could be better is if I was able to see all these people face-to-face, -face, right? So, you know, we jump on a call, we show them what I do, see if it makes sense, and I'll get questions all the time like, hey, these are the things I'm struggling with as far as order of priorities. What do you suggest? Just simple stuff, and I'm not convincing people to buy from me. And I'm not just like, you're not convincing people to invest with you, but rather you're just having real conversations with people and not everybody is going to invest with you. Just like everybody's, you know, not everybody's going to buy from me and that's fine. You don't need them to, and I don't need them to, but there's extreme power in just talking to people. It's just answering questions. And if you think what you're offering doesn't make sense for them, just saying, Hey, based on what you're saying, this doesn't make sense for you. If I were you, I would invest with me. Or if I were you, I wouldn't buy from me, not based on what you just told me. So anyway, this stuff's not real hard, guys. The simpler you make things and the more real you are, I believe the better your results will be. That's how it's been for me. Hope that helps somebody listening. All right, this week I am speaking to Bethany Finch, what a rock star human being she is. She is also known as the Remote RV Investor. She's the founder of a company called American Home Solutions. And that is one of her four companies. Yes, she likes to stay busy. She does not have an off switch that I've ever seen. Uh, she's got 25 years of experience as an entrepreneur. Things kind of relevant to this show. Uh, residential renovations, multifamily syndication, and a couple other businesses that are cool, but kind of unrelated to what we're talking about on this podcast. But awesome stuff. And that alias, the remote RV investor, she literally travels the U.S., lives out of an RV full-time, a big, nice one, I imagine, and moves around and, and runs these businesses and 
really gets to see a lot and experience a lot and, you know, walk the streets of the community she's impacting with her businesses, which is great. So I think you'll like this episode. And without any further ado, let's check it out. Hey, Bethany, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good morning, Jason. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I don't think I remember this story I may, but I'd love to hear how you got started kind of down this road of real estate investing, and I'll even throw a kind of a curveball there, and kind of traveling around the country as you do it, which is so unique and cool. Well, I got started long, long time ago when my, um, before I actually had kids, I started down the path of being an entrepreneur and had to figure out a way to make some extra income, but still be a mom. Yeah. So I had to find a way to be flexible, right? So I started my business and it morphed and it morphed again and it morphed again. And so I had all the flexibility I needed and just had multiple streams of income coming in. But some of them were um, a little more creative than others. So one of them I intentionally ran as a loss just to make sure that we kept more of them tax dollars in my husband's paycheck. (laughs) We, uh, through the years, it's just kind of morphed. As I went further along, I realized I needed to find a way to create more passive income and less active income. I was working way too hard, way too long, missing out on some of the things I wanted to do with kids. And so um, that's when it morphed into more of my real estate side of things. And we'd already been doing multifamily. So I just decided I'm going to own apartments one day. My husband is like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't see it. He, you know, totally different W2 programmed employee. I'm the entrepreneur of this family. So his theory was, why don't you just start with single family? Why don't you just do that for a while? And, you know, we'll see. Because in his mind, I was just failure. It was never going to work. And it took off, went really well. Because again, I was building a business, not a job. Yeah. So suddenly he's like, wait, hey, can we, can I come work for us? And I'm like, no. Come work for us if you decide we can own apartments. He's like, but we can't afford apartments. And I'm like, well, of course we can't. That's why we have a team. Yep. He's like, what? We have a team? I mean, he didn't know anything. Yep. <laughs> he literally didn't. So at that point, the Lord really just started showing me that my husband was really battling depression. He was unchallenged at his work. He was totally running and doing 5,000 properties, 5,000 doors, 20 plus properties, all under full-blown renovation and getting paid a maintenance supervisor for salary. So they totally took advantage of him and he was burnt out. He was very discouraged and couldn't see past that. Just the darkness was all around him. Yep. So the Lord just said, you need to build this business. We need to build it for him. And I didn't get that. I didn't want to be that person. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And I mean, he's kicking and screaming the whole time. That's when the Lord showed us that I was traveling a lot because of business and he didn't understand what I was doing, didn't understand the teams I was building all across the country and why I would invest in these other markets and how I did it remotely. So when COVID hit, we ended up going remote only because I have a lung tumor and I cannot wear a mask. It's actually a physical endangerment to my condition. And so I didn't, not in the airports, not on the planes, never, the whole time. COVID's almost over and a pilot leaves his speed. Was a big kicking off the plane. I've got a medical card, the whole works. My husband looked over and he said, Honey, I'm never going to ask you this again. Please put your mask on. As soon as we got off that plane, we started looking for RVs. And he knew the need for me 
to travel, but he also knew that somebody else was now dictating to us and he was done letting that happen. So that's when we went remote and our teams, it was such an encouragement to our teams for us to get to them was huge because they saw what we went through to get to them yep. and met such so much, so much more encouragement to the teams, but also we enlarged my husband's business and his vision. He saw what is she doing? <laughs> this is real. This isn't, she's not just making this up. This is real. She's really doing this. And so it really started to encourage him and started to fan of him. So that's how it all started in a lot of ways. Yeah. So much to unpack there. When you said that he was just uninspired in his job, man, it, it's kind of scary. It took me back because I know exactly what that feels like. I quit corporate twice and didn't work out the first time and had to go back. But I remember going to my employers at several places I worked. Can I have a whole bunch more responsibility with the same title, the same pay? I'm bored out of my mind and I'm not going to hang around if I'm not challenged. They wouldn't do it because like people would feel threatened or whatever. I assume they wouldn't do it. And I was like, what is going on? You know, actually the first place I ever worked out of college, the guy that hired me is still in the same role. I still would not have moved up because there's nowhere to go. It's just, that's not for me. I guess not for me at all, it, you know, and it's uh, my wife's like your husband. She's not naturally the entrepreneur and kind of was programmed thinking it's safe to have a job. But you think of it this way, like one stream of income, that's terrifying. How many yep. companies have laid off 10% of their workforce this year so far? You know, a bunch. So yeah. it's, or they screw up and somebody embezzles money and next thing you know, half the people are cut and you didn't have any say in it or anything. It doesn't matter what kind of work you are. They just can't afford you. Yeah. It's a wild thing, but yeah, I'm, I love that story. I'm glad that you were doing what you were doing and setting things up. And I'm glad he kind of saw that light and, and stepped into it. And when you mentioned just at the very end here about somebody kind of telling you what to do and him being like, God, I don't like that. I don't like people telling us what to do. I was somewhere last night in public and somebody came up to me and told me that I wasn't allowed to talk because I was being too loud. And I wasn't being loud at all. I was being very quiet. And they said, you were very quiet only, so I couldn't imagine anybody saying that. Yeah. And he said, you know, if you want to talk, you need to leave the building. And I didn't even respond. I just kind of looked at him and he walked away. And then he walked back over and continued this loud conversation that he was a part of the rest of the evening. And there was other groups and I'm like, oh, just me. So I just carried on. I wasn't worried about it, but I was like, I can't even take that seriously. It wasn't doing anything wrong, but people tell me what to do. I just look at them like, why are you talking to me? You know what I mean? So if they are respectful and they're like, Hey, we're trying to have a conversation over here. Would you mind toning it down a little bit or something? You know, if they're respectful and they're asking, knowing you have a voice and you don't have to, but when they're demanding that their rights are more important than yours, it's like, wait a minute. (laughs) That was really weird. It just reminded me, I have this bad thought I probably shouldn't have, but my thought is, I don't work for you. I think about that all the time. <laughs> well, you know. All right, so when you're looking for investments, is there any particular asset classes or markets that you're really drawn to? Yeah, so we are um, a little bit of the opposite of what kind of mainstream that you see a lot in um, social media and such. We're not class A at all. The reason we're not is because we only focus on workforce housing. We're actively working to address the workforce housing crisis. That's why we're doing built to rent in some of our markets is because that's what got shut down in COVID. 
Yeah. And so you can't make a difference if you're only doing the custom homes and the custom new builds and the, you know, the class day, because you don't want to work that hard. Yeah. The end of the day, those working people still need a place to live. They still need to be able to be safe and be provided for. And there's more of them than there are any of the others. So why would I waste my time and energy fighting in that big pond? So we're not in urban, right? We're not in downtown Dallas. We're outside in those secondary and tertiary markets. We're where that workforce housing is getting pushed out to then have to go because that's how much they can afford. And that's where we're going. So our build to rents, we've got one in Lafayette, Louisiana, one in Foley, Alabama, one in um, Bussard, Louisiana, which is a suburb there of Lafayette. And then we're expanding all throughout the country in, in different markets. But so we're focused in areas in Tennessee. We're focused in areas in Florida. We're focused in, you know, we're not in downtown Orlando, right? We're in Jacksonville. We're in even some places like Deltona, Florida, which is in between Daytona and Orlando, where everybody is having to commute from because you know, that's what they can afford, right? So we're focused on those markets that strong rental markets, strong job growth, but also the opportunity to, it's still affordability. So it, we don't have to drive our costs up so much that they can no longer afford it. Because if we can't keep it at that workforce housing median income range, it defeats the purpose. Our whole mission is to create sustainable income. And we can't do that if we're overpricing or, you know, defeating ourselves on the why. Oh, I like it. That's always an interesting question because there's there's so many different approaches to real estate investing and just business in general. And it's, it's kind of neat to see there are a lot of paths to success and it's important if it aligns well with your values and it's not just all about money. So good stuff. Let me ask you this. What simple marketing strategies and tactics have allowed you to initially attract new investors into your business? And I think we talked about this a bit before we hit record, but go anywhere you want to with that question. Um. So there's different seasons in your business, right? When you're brand, brand new, or you're launching a new product, you're doing a different kind of stream of marketing than you would normally. So when I was um, launching early on, I was networking live in-person events, right? Then COVID hit, then everything shut down, then you're on all these Zoom calls back and forth. So the connection is not the same. Most everybody that I talked to during that time didn't get as many good, solid leads as they were when they were in person. So we shifted things and that's when we were trying to up our game in the digital space. And that's when you had to help save my baking because I broke a whole bunch of stuff and got put in active campaign jail and multiple times. And, you know, so there's always all these algorithms and everything changes and now there's AI and I'm like, ah, so I'm always having to evolve. I'm always having to think through where is my customer at? So now. YouTube, believe it or not, used to be a younger generations tool, but now we're finding more and more of that older generation starting to get on there because the younger generation has introduced it to them. Yep. For our YouTube channel, we've really built out and done some great things with playlists and whatnot in there, so it makes it easier for them. They just want to look at passive income. There's so much content on there. Yeah. Five years is a lot of content, so <laughs> it's easy to get lost in the weeds there. So if we put content in these playlists it makes it easier things like this and then recognizing that times they only want to watch one two minutes of it yeah they don't want to watch the whole thing right so then we started doing some shorts recognizing okay where are they at some of ours are still in social media but most of ours are not on instagram yeah and that's a different generation 
not to say that the generation that's on Instagram isn't investors, but they're a different kind of investor. Yeah. Where more, most of our investors generally are more seasoned investors or they've been active and now they're ready to go passive. So it's a different kind of speed of the investor. Yeah. I like YouTube. YouTube, like if I, I'm a the kind of guy, if I'm interested in something, I'm going to learn everything I can about it. And I like to read a little bit, but I really like to watch videos. So I use YouTube from the consumer side a lot. I'm a very visual learner. I think a lot of people are. And like the cool thing about the chapters you make in your YouTube videos, those chapters will actually index with Google. So if you're searching something, sometimes you may see it bring up a video that'll be like, start right here at minute three and 11 seconds, because that's got a chapter that matches your search. So it's really, really interesting. Uh, I haven't played around with the shorts. I, I definitely consume a lot on Facebook and YouTube, the shorts. So I know they're valuable. It's because people have compressed attention spans, right? And compressed time. But yeah, last year I took a YouTube course and put a bunch of time in understanding it. We're just now starting to push content back out to it, but I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. It's a really good way. Video is a great way to, to get people to know, like, and trust you much quicker. It's not as good as in person, but much quicker than blogs or emails or something like that. So good stuff. It's kind of fun when people come up to you and their, their first response is to ask you for your autograph. And you're like, I'm not a TV star just because I'm on YouTube. <laughs> people really ask you that? <laughs> See, it, it like starts to slip and I'm like, no, really. You don't need, you don't want my autograph. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. A little change of gear here for you. What would you say has been your biggest mistake or your biggest regret in marketing so far? First thing you said, when you said that, I heard the biggest mistake or biggest regret and then shifting towards marketing. I'm not sure if it was still applied. The one that always comes to mind is most people learn as they do. Mm-hmm. And there's those people that are so afraid of making a mistake or wanting everything to be perfect that they'll never do anything. Yeah. That's not me. Yeah. I know I will learn. I'll figure it out as I go. I might make a whole bunch of mistakes along the way, but I'll make less and less and less as time goes on. So early on, I got a property under contract, $2 million. It was probably my very first, like my own uh, multifamily housing that I was looking to do all on my own. So. I didn't really think through the whole step. I just got it under contract. In my mind, I'll figure it out. Well, I put it under contract, completely unassignable, put it under contract with a two-week close time, thinking of it like a regular flip and not a commercial, you know, big scale property. And nor did I know that there was a whole historical piece I was going to have to go to battle with. And I reached out to the local law university there, college town, and I was going to use it for student housing. I'm going to renovate this student housing. I was going to make tons of money. Thought I was like Einstein and couldn't pull it together. Call this law school and say, hey, you know, started asking some tidbits of information and whatnot. Didn't ask for an NDA, did nothing. So consequently, when my two weeks come up and I let my contract go because I don't know what I'm doing and I couldn't pull it all together quick enough, they snagged it. Three months later, I hear on the radio, up in the Pacific Northwest, this was down in Georgia. So I hear on the radio, them announcing the same college I was going to sell it to for student housing, bought it from that law school for $65 million. $65 million. I was like, blown my mind. Like, how could I have done that differently? What could I have learned? What, you know, obviously I learned how to write better contracts. I learned things I needed to know, things like that. But then it was on the marketing piece. 
sometimes talking to the wrong people, I mean, it ultimately, I, it, it set me up for failure, right? Yeah. And it happened one other time where I was in a small town and I had a rental that I had bought. I flipped it and burned it and um, I was just setting it up to do as an executive rental. And my mind, I was going to buy all the other properties around it, turn it, tear them all down and turn them into apartments, which is what the town needed. Yeah. Unfortunately, I went to the city, started talking to the city, you know, talking about what can I do and how can I do this and blah, blah, blah. Well, it's a bunch of good old boys, it's a little tiny town, like 3,000 people or something. These good old boys, they're all real estate investors. They all know. They knew what I saw. I was gems. So they went to all those people that they already had those relationships with. They started buying up all those properties all around them. Oops. Yes. <laughs> Once I saw what they were doing, I'm like, huh, they probably shouldn't have done it that way, right? <laughs> Realized my mistake. So then I just stuck it to him and just made sure I sold it to a consumer who would never sell his property, put it in his contract. So he wouldn't sell his property for 10 years. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Here's another curveball for you. Share a story from this real estate investor journey that you've never shared publicly before. It'd be anything you want, humorous, another life lesson. And we're just looking for something authentically you that not everybody hears about. <laughs> okay. So some people have heard how in my early days when I'm flipping houses and such, especially as a woman in the field, men don't take you seriously. Contractors don't take you seriously. I've met you have a strong personality, so I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to test you. <laughs> so these contractors think I'm just, you know, nothing to worry about. They think they can roll over me. It's like, dude, I've been a mom and a teacher and a coach. Um, no, but they don't know that about me. Yeah. So one property I had to fire eight guys on one property alone. And the turnover was killing me, absolutely killing me. So I'm strapping on my belt and I'm getting busy and I'm, I'm not coming home till like 2 a.m. every night. My husband is like, you're clearly doing this wrong. You don't know what you're doing, blah, 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 you know? Well, he didn't believe me. He just thought I was firing people willy-nilly because I didn't like them or whatever. He had no idea what was going on. So at this point, I'm close to firing my roof. The one guy who hasn't been replaced is the roofer. I show up again, he's still not done. It's like, we have a contract, you're still not done, what's going on? This is when I learned that my per diem needed to change. I was only charging $100 a day per diem. It was cheaper for him to go do work for other people and pay my per diem, he didn't care. So I raised it ultimately to 500 a day. They started taking me a little bit more serious, but he still hadn't shown up, his crews hadn't showed up. I, call, I show up again and he says, no, no, they're on their way. It's like nine o'clock, still hadn't shown up. No, no, they're on their way. I'm like, okay, they better be. Just just warning you, they better be. And he says, why? What's going to happen? And I said, well, I'm getting my belt on right now. I'm getting my ladder and I'm getting on the roof. If I get more done before your guys get here, they're fired. And he knows I don't know anything about roofing. So <laughs> he knew I didn't know anything about roofing. He's just to get of all the work he's going to have to tear back out, right? <laughs> just to prove a point. So he's like, you can tell he's on the phone. He's just like, tune back, get your tail ends there, blah, 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 blah. So they show up. I did not realize the pitch of the roof. So apparently, you know, there's 18 pitch and 22 pitch and it determines how steep it is. I didn't know anything about that. It, I just looked like, oh, put the ladder up, you get up and they get up there. Why can't I get up there? So consequently, I put the ladder up there. I get up there and I can't get back down. The pitch is way too steep. I'm about ready to launch myself off this roof. <laughs> I'm like, oh, how am I going to do this? 
thankfully they were there within the hour and they uh, didn't get fired that time. But consequently, that same roofer has been my roofer for life. He literally has shown up Christmas Day on projects when we had emergency situations. He's a terrible person to communicate with. He's horrible. All my customers hate him, but he's a good roofer. And so he told me he would not have seen me up on that roof. He, he totally would have blown me off. He said the fact that he saw me up on that roof, and he knew I couldn't get down. Thank you. Just didn't tell me. Oh boy, that's scary to hear about. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, steep roofs, not my idea of a good time either. So, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> very cool. So, does he travel all over the U.S. with you, or no? So he does only our Pacific Northwest stuff. Our whole mission is to create sustainable growth in every community that we're in. So we look to find those tools in every one of ours. So we've got you know those strong teams and certain ones, certain ones. You know, we're kind of it's a revolving door, but that's okay. Yeah, we live in an era where uh, a lot of people don't like to work anymore. Shame. Yeah, especially after COVID, all the unemployment was still going, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I can go to you know grocery store right now, any day of the week, and it's always full. I'm like, does nobody go to traditional jobs anymore? Why are all these people here always? It's like, why is everybody always out? It's it's really perplexing. I mean, obviously, with me working remotely, like it's normal, but it didn't used to be this way. So, let's say you had a conversation with another person looking to get into capital raising specifically. What's the one piece of marketing advice you would say you need to do this when you get started? Take my advice, do this right away. It'll save you some time and headache. Start educating. The biggest thing about capital raising is people need to know, like, and trust you, but they're they aren't necessarily, they may know you as a person. They may know you as an individual. They don't necessarily know you as a real estate investor. Yeah. Like my family doesn't have a clue what I do. So they know me, but they don't know what I do. Yeah. And so start educating people that you think may want to invest. Start educating them yeah. on what you're doing and how you're doing it and why it's beneficial and how it can benefit them and the pros and cons and all of that. Start putting that out there because that takes time. Yeah. It, it's not a once and done thing. People need to see that and, okay, yep, looks like you know what you're doing now. Then he's kind of tested, do the litmus test, all of that. And that takes time. And, and you're ready to pull that trigger. Then if you've done your education, they'll be ready. Otherwise, they won't be ready when you you need to pull the trigger and, and actually have some capital. What's interesting about that and what's interesting about kind of my journey through this, so you know, this business of mine is focused on the digital marketing for real estate investors. My wife and I became LP investors last summer on a 121-door unit in Chattanooga. And just by me communicating that to the world, just in a real nonchalant way, it has generated more interest of people being like, how'd you buy an apartment? You know what I mean? You know how it goes. So with our sister company that we've launched and I'm very slowly setting it up because we've been so busy, Wind River Equity Partners, I know that when it comes time to find investors for that project, it, it, it's going to be nicer to say, even though I've only done it once, I'm an LP investor myself. It just seems from the credibility standpoint, I think, and I may be overthinking it, more believable for somebody to invest with me if I've invested in something myself. You know what I mean? Well, and, and definitely if you're invested yourself, but why wouldn't you be invested, right? For instance, on the GP side, all of us GP partners are always invested. Yeah. If we're not invested in the deal, we don't have any qualms about just leaving. And yeah. that's not the team that we're trying to build. 
So we want to know that our investors are taken care of. And if every big GP person is invested in the deal, now we're not going to just disclose how much each person's investing. That's nobody else's business, but there's money on the line for us. And it's not money. Obviously it's time and energy Um, because on the GP side, for the most part, you're kind of not getting paid for a long time. So on the GP side, you're working for that back end part of it, you know, five years is up or whatever. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so we are recording this early March 2023. As you look forward through the end of this year, what are you most excited about in business? So we're launching our business foundations program. So that's going to be exciting. We're really working to help, you know, churches specifically and small business owners. A lot of them are not set up correctly and they aren't paying themselves first. They don't even know how they could possibly pay themselves. They don't have any kind of retirement set up. And that's why a lot of the church was folded during COVID was because pastors had to go find work because nobody was paying the bills. And so if you redesign and you look at the business model, it's like, okay, well, wait, you guys are thrust into the business model. You have no idea how to run a business and you have no support. So bad setup from the beginning. So we're looking to come alongside and really help people maneuver that because there is a lot more entrepreneurs that launched during COVID. And now they're getting big enough that okay, now we need to do something. How do we scale and what does that look like? And so, yeah, so for us, that's exciting. We're going to be launching that by the end of this month. It'll be launched and up and going. And and then we'll have our build to rents. That's always exciting because once we see them going vertical, then we're starting to see families move in. Then it's exciting to see and meet those folks and put our community resource officers in place and things like that. So that part's exciting. Obviously, we'll have several of our properties will have gone further in their renovations. So we'll get to see, we're kind of in that sweet spot where we're starting to see more of the fruits. Yeah. See, that's what this year will bring, which is exciting because the last couple of years have been very tough, right? You're in the trenches sludge in a way. So that'll be exciting. And then just recognizing the value that it's had on my husband and allowing him to start dreaming again. And who knows, maybe one of these days I'll get an anniversary vacation. <laughs> you know, you might finally go, hey, can we afford to do this? Let's go do this, you know, and then it might happen. You know? <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. All right. For anybody watching or listening, how can they get more information about you or what you're doing? So you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, our company name is American Made Home Solutions. We do have the full blown YouTube channel there at American Made Home Solutions. The probably the best way is LinkedIn or YouTube just because. We do have the free ebook that you've got the notes for. You can drop it in the show notes. It's 16 questions you should ask if you want to become like you, an LP investor, what kind of questions you should ask, right? What things you should be looking out for and what does that look like? So it's a free ebook. It just gives you the opportunity to start learning. And those are probably the best ways to get in touch with us and reach out to us. Uh, when you download the ebook, then it, the next email asks if you're interested in getting some more uh, information sent to you. And then if you say yes, then we'll that needs more free information and whatnot. So we don't charge for any of that. So Very cool. Well, I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun as always connecting with you and learning more about you and your story. So appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. I always enjoy getting together with you. And how's the girls team going this year? How's what? How's the girls basketball team going this year? So far, so good. So (laughs) (laughs) good deal. All right. Have a good day. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. 
I had a great time making it, and I hope you really enjoyed yourself listening to it. If you want to keep up with all things Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast related, I encourage you strongly to go to reimarketingstories.com and signing up for our podcast newsletter. We will simply keep you up to date with what's going on with the show, new episodes, and things like that. reimarketingstories.com. So hopefully today's episode and the other episodes that you'll listen to will remind you that as a real estate investor, everybody starts at the beginning, okay? Um, Our guest today and the other guests that you will hear on this show will share their real story, right? They'll tell you what worked, what didn't work. And I want you to remember one thing if you remember nothing else today. It's possible for you to, okay? Never stop going and keep following your passion. Finally, today's show has been brought to you by CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. If you're an active capital raiser and you are ready to learn the three areas that are holding you back from raising more capital, I strongly suggest you check out CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. Check out our free 10-minute video there, and you let me know if it doesn't provide you value. I'm sure it will. All right, thanks again for listening to the show this week. Hope to see you next time. Take care.